today is week three, and I get to talk to you guys about, drum roll, red flags in dating. Red flags in dating. Where, where's all, where are all my single people at? If you're not married in here, I want to hear you right now. Where are you at? Come on. All right, all right, I hear you. If you're online, maybe send us a, you know, send us a thumbs up emo- emoji. Here's the thing, y'all. I am talking to you guys today. All the single people, unmarried, you're dating, you're engaged, whatever. I'm talking to you. You guys get a message. It's not necessarily just about families and marriage today. It is about you and what does it look like to date and what does it look like, what are some red flags in dating? Um... And so it, we have, we've been kind of, we have this rolling definition that we've been talking about red flags. Like if you're asking what is red flags, it's this. It's a red flag is a warning sign, a heads up of potential danger or a signal that there's a problem that needs to be addressed. A, a problem or a signal that it needs to be addressed. Do you think about like red flags in NASCAR, right? Like, uh, and then are you, are you could even think about like red flags at the beach, um, you know, they have the red flags. They both mean stop. There's some danger ahead. There's something that's going to happen. Think about like almost like a stop sign or a red light that's saying like, hey, if you continue on, there's going to be some danger beyond this point. Our anchor scripture is, uh, is in Proverbs, and it says this in Proverbs 27. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Our goal for you guys in this message is that you aren't just going blindly into situations and suffering the consequences, but you're looking at the dangers ahead. You're foreseeing red flags in your life and in the people around you, and you're not having to suffer the consequences. And so we're going to be talking about that in dating, but I figured um, it was only fitting that I actually start off with a story about the story of me and Ashley, my wife, and how we started dating. I feel like, you know, like that, it was only, it only made sense for me to start off with that. And so, um, if you guys don't know, the last time I spoke up here, I talked about how I, uh, I was, I gave my life to the Lord here at this church, in the youth group here of this church in 2010. In 2010, so that was 12 years ago now. Holy moly, I'm getting old. Anyways, um, and so, that was happening. What I didn't tell you is at the same time, so Ashley, my wife, is a couple years older than me, and so I was in high school, and she was graduated. And she graduated high school, and she went to Texas to go to Bible college in Texas. And uh, they would have some different, was it once a year or was it multiple times a year? Multiple, multiple times a year they would have, they would fast and pray. I mean, very much like we do here as, at a church. But when I say that they fast and prayed, like, they fasted and prayed. You know what I'm saying? Like, they fasted and prayed. Like, like I think she, she tells me that they only had, like, a Bible and a notebook and water, and that was it. They couldn't eat. They couldn't talk. Like, it was literally just them and Jesus for, like, a few days. And so she decided that she was going to, uh, she was going to fast and pray for her future and really try to hear the voice of God on, on what does her future look like. And in, and in, while she was fasting and praying, she literally heard the voice of God tell her, you need to start praying for Dustin Lister's salvation. Start praying for Dustin Lister because you're, he's going to be the one that you're going to marry one day. 
And so she just began to fast and pray for me all the way in Texas while while that's happening in Texas, here in Jennings, Louisiana, I get invited by a friend to come to OSC, give my life to the Lord, and, and, and get radically changed. And then, so it, it's, it was, it's a funny dynamic because, like, even her parents were here, and she, and she was in Texas, so her parents find out, and they're like, you'll never guess who is living for the Lord now. You'll never guess who's going to our Savior's church now. Dustin Lister. Yeah, Dustin Lister, the, cra- the crazy dude, the dude we never thought he would give his life to the Lord. He is living for the Lord now. And Ashley knew that that's what she was fasting and praying for. And so she, I give my life to the Lord. Like I, I said last time I spoke to you guys, I give my life to the Lord, and then I go to uh, summer camp, and I feel a call to ministry. And so I decide I'm not going to pursue UL for a little while, but I'm actually going to pursue ministry. And in that time, um, you know, I had to move out. And so I'm looking for a place to live. Ashley moves back into her parents' house. And guess where there's a rent house behind Ashley's parents' house that is available for rent? It's, well, I just said the answer. I just realized that. <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> there was a red house behind Ashley's parents' house that was available. And so I moved in. And I moved in with some guys from the church. If you guys don't know, um, I moved in with Ryan Blanchard and Andrew Nocum and Kenzie Dago. And we lived there for a little while. We called it the 306. And what I'm about to tell you guys they can actually vouch for is some of this story was like I would like go and take out the trash outside, you know, like just normal taking out the trash and I'd see Ashley outside. Basically, we basically shared a yard and there was just like a chain link fence between the two of us. So I'd be taking out the trash and I'd see Ashley outside and I'd start talking to her and then like four hours later, we're like still talking, you know, like that's just kind of how the story went. Like there were times where we were tired of standing. So we're like sitting down like and talking through the chain link fence. And, and then even like there were times where like some of the guys would be like, where'd Dustin go? I bet you was outside talking to Ashley again. Yep. There he is. He's talking to Ashley again. And I know that sounds like a romantic, like, oh, like lovey-dovey story because it is, that is all true but that's not the full truth. That's not actually the reality. The reality is me and Ashley dated for a week in high school, and then I broke up with her after a week because I had just gotten out of a relationship where, uh, that, where she cheated on me, and so I had trust issues. I was insecure, and she was just bad at replying back to my text, and I wasn't having it, and so I broke up with her. And so even even more than that, so I give my life to the Lord. She sees God radically change my life, like just what she was praying and fasting for. And then she she moves back, and she's super excited about maybe what the future could hold for us. And she moves back, and guess what she finds out? I'm dating someone else. I was dating someone else when she got here. And so she had to patiently wait for and, and not say anything and not give away anything and waited because I was dating someone else. Here's the truth. Me and Ashley are not perfect for each other. And there are actually hundreds, if not thousands of other guys that are more compatible with my wife than I am. Right? <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait, that, that rubs me the wrong way because like, are you saying that Ashley's not your soulmate? Here's the truth. That's exactly what I'm saying. Ashley's not my soulmate. I'll tell you why. Because soulmates don't exist. 
It is a myth. It's a fairy tale. That it, that it actually stems from Greek mythology, if you didn't know, that like in Greek mythology, humans had four arms and four legs and two heads, and the Greek god of Zeus split people in half and made the men and women that we know today, and so they had two arms and two legs and one head, but they only had half a soul. And so their whole goal in life was I needed to go find the person who has the other half of my soul or my soul mate. That a NASA scientist actually uh, like ran all the numbers to figure out like, okay, what, is, what would be the probability of me finding my soulmate if soulmates existed? And he found out that it would be a one in 10,000 chance that you would find your soulmate if, if soulmates existed. And that's using optimistic numbers. And that's not considering if, uh, so what if this guy married the wrong, this guy's soulmate. And then now this guy has to marry the wrong person. And then this person ends up marrying the wrong person. And then did one guy just mess it up for all of us? And now we're just all married the wrong people. Congratulations. Sweet. Because one dude messed it up. <laughs> That's not, it's weird. It's weird. But that's the reality of the, this belief in soulmates. And I know that, like, you may be thinking, like, well, like, and I, well, I'll say it this way. Like, I understand that soulmates are easy to believe in. But we have to, we have to uh, look past and not believe this concept of soulmates because soulmates will cause us to look past red flags. That we're not going to look for red flags in dating while we're dating people or we're looking for a partner because we're just going to be convinced, well, they're my soulmate. And I see it all the time. Like we, they, they, we, you have this desire to look, uh, uh, like to believe that this person is meant for you or designed for you. And the reality, like the reality is, is I'm meeting with people all the time, and I love, I love these phrases because I love to just tell them, like, you know, that's not true, right? It's, it's all the time I'm meeting with people, and they'll say things like, "Well, they're just so perfect," or, 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 or they're, but they're perfect for me. <laughs> Or, or my favorite one, my favorite one is, but their flaws make them perfect. <laughs> their flaws are what makes them perfect. They're, here's the truth. Is you think, it's all lovey-dovey when you're dating and you're like, oh, their flaws make them perfect. And then you get married and their flaws just make them annoying. <laughs> that's, the, that's the truth. Their flaws just make them annoying. And then here's what happens. And married people, listen to this. That you get married and they start to see have flaws and they're not as perfect as you thought they were. And when because they're not as perfect as you thought they were and you're not as compatible as you thought you were, then you start to question, wait, did I marry the wrong soulmate? Did I marry the wrong person? Is this the person that was actually meant for me? And then you go to work and then boom, that cute girl starts showing you attention. And she starts you know, telling you things and you seem interested and then you start assuming perfection on them. And then you start to think, well, I think I just made a mistake. They're actually my soulmate. They're the one I'm actually supposed to be with. And then you feel justified for leaving your husband or wife to be with them. But 
when you, when you take out this idea that only one person is meant for you, it frees you. It frees you to actually stay and fight for your marriage. Because you're not worried about whether or not they're the right one. You're, you, you only have to worry about the commitment that you've made to each other. Like, we are committed, and we're going to work this out no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it's going to be. We're staying, and we're figuring this out. There's no soulmates. And, and then if you are a, if you're single in here or dating, that frees you up tremendously to be able to look at red flags, that you could look at red flags while you date and have actual qualifications. Like, you can have some checklist of things that guys and girls need to meet before you even consider getting into a relationship with them. And so you guys ready to look at some red flags? Some red flags in dating? Unmarried people, single people, you guys ready for this? So before we get into our first red flag, I need to explain to you guys the scripture that we're reading. We're we're pulling almost all of our scripture today from one book of the Bible. And this book is literally the guide on how to find love, make love, and maintain love. Today, we're going to be focusing on finding love. We're not going to be talking about making love, a whole lot of promise. Um, but we're going to be talking about finding love. And this, th- I love this book because um, I was actually an English major in high school for a little while. I was going to be a high school English teacher when I went to college. And so I love English. And, I, and, uh, and so this, this book is actually written a lot like, uh, like a play. You know, like William Shakespeare, where there's different people who are talking. Um, and it's actually not a play. It's actually a song. The book is called Song of Solomon, or for some translations, they'll call it Song of Songs. And, it's, and, it's, and there's three characters in this book. There's he, which is King Solomon. And then there's she, which is like Solomon's girl depending on at what point in the book you're reading it, whether it's someone he, she, he's interested in or his wife. And the third one is others. So there's he, she, and others. And others is her friends. Her friends. And so we're going to be seeing, uh, we're going to be reading from she, she's going to be saying a lot, and others are going to be saying a lot. We're not going to be reading a whole lot of, from him today. Um, but anyways, so red flag number one. All right, you guys ready? We set it up. We set up the stage. Let's see what is red flag number one in dating. Red flag number one is this, is when their character is not attractive. When their character is not attractive, red flag. Red flag if their character is not attractive. Watch what Song of Solomon uh, chapter one, verse three says, It's she talking, so you see the pronoun she, and she says, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. What is she saying here? She's saying, she's telling Solomon, your name smells good, which is weird. (laughs) Like, I've I've never introduced myself to someone and be like, Hi, my name is Dustin. Oh, 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 Dustin. Oh, that name just, oh, it smells so good. Like, or, oh, Dustin Lister, that has a fragrance about it. Like, names don't smell, right? Like, she's obviously not talking about a physical smell here, but she's talking about everything but. She's not saying he physically smells good. She's saying his name. There's something to his name. There's a goodness about his name. It's fragrant. It smells 
good. His character smells good. His integrity smells good. His spirituality has a good scent to it because he's been with Jesus and he smells like Jesus. He smells good. And for some of you in here, that's your main problem. You're just looking after people who smell good on the outside. That, oh, they go to the gym and they have all the right bumps in all the right places. And so, oh, that's it. They're the one. You guys liked that? (laughs) They're the one. They smell good on the outside. But if you were to actually kind of lean into it and actually look at who they are, you'd realize that their character is actually rotten. That their integrity stinks. That they don't smell like Jesus at all. Then you quickly realize, oh, they're not the type of people I want to parent my kids because they just look good on the outside. And then even if you have kids, like, you want your kids to to see you dating people that don't just look good, right? But actually have a smell to them as well. They smell good spiritually. They smell like good character. They smell like Jesus. And so Solomon's girl, she takes it even another step further a little bit further down in chapter 1, in verse 13, it says this. Watch what she, So it's she talking again, and she says, My beloved is to me like a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Like a, he's like a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. What is she talking about here besides maybe her breasts? She, she's, anyways, I don't know why I said that. It's like a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. So what is she saying? So before before I get into what she's saying, you need a little bit of cultural context. So back in the day, back in this time, how do I put this? Like, (laughs) bathing wasn't as normal as it is today. Like, they didn't bathe as, it's not, it wasn't like a normal thing to be able to bathe every day. That was something that was reserved for the people who were actually a little bit more privileged um, and, and wealthy, that they were able to bathe. But more common people did not really have that luxury. And, and, and if you read Song of Solomon a little bit more thorough, you see that she was a more common person. She talks about how her skin is dark and hard um, because she w- has worked out in the vineyards her whole life. So she's a little bit more common person. And so people who were like that, what they would do is they would wear this necklace around their neck with this sachet or this kind of like sack of fragrance in it. And so they would, go to, they would wear this necklace with this fragrance around their neck, and they would go to sleep. And that way, when they woke up in the morning, they would smell like that fragrance. So she's saying, like, that's what her choice was myrrh. She would put myrrh into this necklace, and she would wake up, and she would wake up smelling like myrrh. So what is she saying here? She's saying not only does his name smell good, but it smells so good that when I'm around him, I smell better as well. Here's the truth. You smell like the sense that you are around. How many of you guys know, I'm not, I'm not saying names, not. You guys cannot convince me, I'm not gonna say names, but there are some restaurants in town that when you go and eat at those restaurants, 
I swear you smell like those restaurants for three days, right? Like, like you know those restaurants that like, when you walk into a room and someone ate at that restaurant, you're like, oh, you ate there for lunch. Yep, got it. I know exactly where you ate. I, I'm not even joking. Like, I've, I've gone and eaten at some of these restaurants, and then I had, like, a meeting that afternoon. I've gone home and changed because I did not want to smell like that restaurant for the rest of the day. Well, why? Because you're around that scent. You smell like the scents that you are around. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, what do they smell like? Do they smell good? Do they smell like good character? Do they smell like Jesus? Or do they smell like compromise? Do they smell like sin? Men, I'm going to talk to you for a second. If you leave her house at 3 o'clock in the morning, you cause her smelling like, you leave her smelling like compromise. That if you're staying the night at each other's house, you are leaving them smelling like compromise. That if you're causing them to do things sexually that they are not ready for, they don't want to do, you are causing them to smell like compromise. And parents with kids here, hear me this. This applies to your kids as well. Whoever you bring into their house, they're going to smell like that. And they're watching, they're looking, and they're learning at how you date. And so if if your dating experience smells like compromise, guess how they're going to date when they get old enough? They're going to smell like compromise as well. We all need to look at who we date in here. But some of us need to look at ourselves. What do we smell like? So, yeah, some of you in here, you're like, man, I, I just want a good godly man. I just want a good godly woman. Can I tell you something? Be a good godly man or woman. You, you attract the scent that you are. You attract the people that you are. I'll put it this way, that you don't attract what you want. You attract who you are. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, what do I smell like? Some of you women in here are like, uh, just all men are pigs. Every single one of them. I've dated seven guys last year. Every single one of them jerks. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Who's the common denominator in those seven relationships? (laughs) It's you. You're the common denominator. For those of you guys who didn't catch on. You want a good, long-lasting, healthy relationship? This is what I I tell people this all the time. Pastor Josh put it in me when I was dating, and I put in anyone and everyone that will listen to me, that you run after God with everything that you are, with, with your whole life, that you pursue Jesus with your whole life, that you do the things that God's called you to do. You fulfill the purposes that God has for you, that he is your whole life. And when you look to your right, and there's someone running at the same pace, at the same speed as you, going towards Jesus, that's when you know you found a good mate. That's when you know you found someone who smells good. Some of you need to stop swiping right and running after Jesus and looking to your right. Get off of the app, y'all. Just get off of it and pursue Jesus. 
<laughs> Red flag number two. You guys ready for this? Red flag number two is when others don't celebrate the relationship. When others don't celebrate the relationship, red flag. Red flag when others don't celebrate the relationship. Watch what Song of Solomon 1, chapter 1, verse 4 says. Is they talking, so it's, it's her friends, and they're talking to King Solomon. She, they say, how happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. What are they saying here? We are all about your relationship. We're all about it. We love it. We're, we, we celebrate it. We're, we're so excited that you guys are in a relationship together that we want what you guys even have one day. We approve it. It makes sense. It's, it's great. It is a good thing. You know, me and Ashley, we, uh, we started counseling this girl a few months ago who had went through a, an, a really, really bad breakup last year. So we just you know, committed to seeing her find freedom from that and health in that. And the more that we met with her, the more we uncovered, like, oh, this wasn't just a bad relationship. Like, this was a toxic relationship. Like, as toxic as it gets relationship. Like, the more that we actually got into it and dug into it, the more we realized, like, this was a bad dude. This was a bad guy. It was toxic. And so she, she was finding freedom and she was finding health and she's grown so much and it's been amazing to see God move in that. And so she goes to her friends and she's telling them all about it. She was like, I can't believe I didn't see this. How did I not see that, that they, I was in such a toxic relationship? How did I not see how bad he was? And you know what their reply was? Oh yeah, we knew. We knew. We just didn't tell you. What? Four years of pain could have been avoided if you would have just told me? If you would have just told me that, that this was toxic, I would, have, I, w- I would have changed things. I would have seen things. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Have I set myself up in a way to be surrounded around the right people that are going to call me out of a relationship I don't need to be in? Are you surrounded around the right friends? Have you placed good, godly friends who pray for you around you? Are you in a life group? Do you have someone discipling you that's pouring into you that can call you out of that relationship? Are you isolated and alone? You see, their friends were in that relationship. You can see it because you can't celebrate what you don't see. And so they saw it, they celebrated it, they loved it. The issue is, is we get into relationships and we have this tendency, we just want to spend time with them and just them and our friends get thrown to the side, but they have input, they have say. And if you're in a toxic relationship and you have some of your closest friends telling you like, hey, this is toxic, you need to listen to them. And this is a hard pill to swallow. But even this, this is even if you're older in here. If your parents love the Lord, they have insight into your relationship that, that you don't see. Yeah, I'll never forget that me and Ashley. So Ashley, you know, she came back here. She felt, she knew that God had called us to be together. And then, um, but she didn't tell me. Obviously, that would be kind of weird if she was like, yeah, so uh, you're going to be my husband one day. <laughs> like, she didn't do that. And so, uh, so 
she told me, she said, I want you to hear from God whether or not, like, I want, I want God to give you the okay for you to pursue me. I was like, okay, bet. I could do that. No problem. Like, for sure. And so, and so I just began to pray, and I began to seek God. And literally, I, I might be wrong, but it took me years to hear an answer from God. Like, years. Like, there was so much impatience that, like, by the time I actually proposed to Ashley, some of you might have even been here, that Pastor Bubba from the stage was like, can we just give Dustin a round of applause? He finally proposed to Ashley. It took that long. But I, I was waiting to hear from God. I remember I was like, I, I set myself a deadline. I said, okay, if I don't hear from God by this time, by this date, then I'm just going to take it as a no. Like, obviously, God's not speaking to me, so I'm not going to assume he's saying yes. And so I was getting really, really close to that deadline, like way too close. And I began to panic a little bit. I'll never forget this. I began to panic, and I was getting really, really anxious about it. And so I just began, I opened up my journal, and I just started writing it down, all my feelings down, what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And I'll never forget that. I I wish I still had this journal. This is why I don't journal now. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, uh, I was just writing it down, and it turned into prayer. And I began to pray, and I just began to pray things like, God, you are sufficient. God, you are enough. God, you're all I need. You know, if I, if, I, if I don't date Ashley, if I'm single for the rest of my life, I am fine because you are sufficient, and you are more than enough. And I remember I, I, remember I, I wrote out even, Amen. And it was in that moment that God was like, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna date Ashley. You're going to be with Ashley. And I was so excited, so ready. And so I go, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting discipled by Pastor Zach at the time, who's my youth pastor. And, and so I'm, I, um, even though I was like 22 probably at this time, and, uh, and I, was, I was, had lunch with him. And we're sitting across the table, and I'm just telling him, like, God finally told me, like, I'm going to ask Ashley out on a date. And he looked at me in the eyes, and he said, no, you're not. I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Years, years of trying to hear from God, and you're telling me no? You ain't my, you ain't my daddy? You ain't my father? Like, who, who, why are you trying to tell me that I can't marry this person? And then he began to tell me, he said, well, you know, you still struggle with this. You still have this problem. You know, they're, they're, you're still going through this. That is still happening. It's not, it's not, you're not ready. You're not ready to date a child of God yet. What he was telling me is like, Dustin, your name doesn't smell good enough yet. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that he called that out of me because I don't know where my relationship can be or would be if I would have pursued it, still struggling with all those things. Because when you get into a relationship, I don't know if you guys know this, you get into a relationship, your problems just get magnified. Like you bring those problems into a relationship with you. Can I tell you guys something? This, is, this, is, this might step on some toes. If you're recently divorced in here and you just want to quote unquote move on, can I tell you that red flag, red flag, Because here's the question you have to ask yourself. If you are pursuing someone, dating someone, or with someone, think about this question. When was the last time they were single for an extended period of time? And if the answer to that is, I don't think at all, 
They're using you. They're using you. I call it handlebarring. Because it's like in a play gym, you, you know, you're, hand, you're holding on to handlebars and you can't let go of the one, one behind you until you grab a hold of the one in front of you. You can't, oh, I'm going to grab a hold of him, that way I can let go of him. Or I'm going to grab a hold of her so I can let go of her. And what you're doing is, is you... And for some of you, this might have even started as early on as when you first started dating, that they filled a, a part of your life that they weren't designed to fill. And so every time you get into a relationship, you have to jump into another one because you got to have someone filling that in you. And if you're dating someone like that, you are a means to an end. They are literally just dating you until they can find whatever that next handlebar is. And if you are in here and you haven't been single for an extended period of time, like, be single. It's like God works in the singleness. God moves in the singleness. And no, three months is not an extended period of time. Just letting you guys know. It's not. But it's hard. That's hard to spot. When you, when you get into relationships, it's hard to spot things. You get blinded by certain red flags. You know, you have someone, you know, who cares about you and is, you know, is loving on you and telling you all the right things and they're attractive. Like, you get blinded super easy, which is why you have to have the right people in the right place to call you out of those things. Something super practical, super practical. If you're in a relationship right now, sit down face-to-face with someone you trust, life group leader, just someone you know, know that just you know, loves you and prays for you and cares about your spirituality, and you ask them this question. You say, is there anything about my relationship that would cause you to say that I need to put a pause on it? And actually listen to what they have to say. And if you're in here and you know someone who's in a toxic relationship, be better than that girl's friends. Like, stop commenting, heart, 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 OMG, y'all are so cute together, like, 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 no. (laughs) Like, tell them the truth, like, out of love, stop, you know, pretending like you support their relationship, sit down with them in love, face to face, and say, girl, like, this dude is bad for you. He's bad news. He is toxic. You know, obviously tell them out of love. Tell them in a loving way. You guys ready for red flag number three? Red flag number three is this, is when they are trying to go too fast. Red flag. They're trying to go too fast. It's just the air conditioner. When they're trying to go too fast, you're like, God? (laughs) Is this message for me, God? (laughs) When you're trying to go too fast, red flag. Red flag. Watch what Song of Solomon chapter 2 says here. So we've moved on to chapter 2. It's she talking. She's talking to her friends here. And she's saying, I adjure you that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Don't. I, I adjure you. I love that that word is there. I adjure you. I plead with you. Please listen to me. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And I get it. We as a culture or as a people, as a humanity, 
we, ha- we have this des- innate desire that we want to find love. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That we, we, ha- we are obsessed with even seeing people find love. Like we want to match people up and we want other people to find love. That's why we're obsessed with shows like The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, or, you know, that love at first sight where I'm going to marry you right when I see you. Like, it's because we're obsessed with love. That's why we. That's why we. Uh, that's why we like romantic movies so much. Because we we are obsessed with seeing people find love, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Those shows are a bad thing, but f- this desire to find love is not a bad thing. But you have to hear me. You have to build relationships right. I think about it like a fire. You know, you got to build a fire right. Um, if you guys heard me last time I spoke, I told you guys about how I love hiking. Um, I've, I hike with people all the time. There was a time in my life where anyone that I was, like, discipling or pouring into, I was taking them hiking with me. And I go hike at Kisachi, and there's this one guy that uh, that I used to pour into a lot. And, uh, and so he came hiking with me a bunch. And... Uh, and so there was this one time that we get to the campsite, we're setting up camp, and, and so we're, I'm starting to build the campfire, and, uh, and so I brought three things with me to start this campfire. I brought a starter log, I brought a lighter, and I brought a little thing of lighter fluid. So I was about to start this fire, and this, as soon as I took out those three things from my backpack, the dude was like, no, stop, we're building this fire right and I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I'm like, just give me five seconds. I'm going to get this fire lit. Like, he's like, no, we're doing this right. And so he went and he found, like, you know, these dead branches. And he had, like, a, you know, a hatchet or something. And he was cutting them all the same size. And he goes back and he, and he lays them all, like, and it looks like a log cabin. You know, all this wood in a log cabin. And then he goes and finds some kindling, like some dead leaves. And he kind of crumbling them up and he's kind of like putting them under there and then he goes and finds like a dead branch I'll never forget that he takes like his knife and he's like cutting bark off of this uh off of this stick and he's like twisting it and then he kind of puts it down and he grabs his flint and steel and he sticks his flint in it and he just starts striking away like you could tell that this dude had obviously watched a YouTube video on how to build a campfire before he came on this camping trip and he just starts striking away Y'all, it was like three hours later that this dude finally got this fire started. And I'm like, dude, if, if you would have just let me put some lighter fluid on it, it would have been all right. Like, we could have gotten this started a long time ago. Because so I'm a lighter fluid kind of guy. I don't know who, who's, who's lighter fluid people in here, like... If you're online, maybe send some fire emojis. Like, you know, if I'm standing next to a fire with some lighter fluid, with a bottle of lighter fluid in my hand, I'm not holding it like this. I'm holding it like this. Like, it's, I'm, I'm spraying that lighter fluid in the fire. I'm trying to get this fire to go as high and as hot as possible. Right? Like, my wife's like, Dustin, you're going to burn the house down. <laughs> and I'm like, fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a lighter fluid kind of guy, but I, I, after that camp, camping trip, I actually realized, like, I learned what lighter fluid is. And some of you might actually know this. Lighter fluid, the, the term for it is, it's, a, it's an accelerant. And when you light an accelerant on fire, the accelerant is what's on fire, not necessarily what the accelerant is on. Which is why you could take a, some wet wood, and you can 
put a bunch of lighter fluid on it and you can light it on fire because it's the accelerant that's on fire and not really the wood. And for those of you guys who admitted that you're lighter fluid people, you know this more than anything, that, um, that you spray that lighter fluid on that fire and it's super awesome and it's pleasing to see and then you run out of lighter fluid. And then what happens when you run out of lighter fluid? The flyer goes down, and it's one of the most frustrating things in the world, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about. When you're trying to light a fire with lighter fluid, and you're like, yes, I got it lit, and then you like put the lighter fluid away, and then it's like, boom, and it's not on fire. So I actually learned that I was wrong in how I was going to light the fire. This guy was right. He wanted to build the fire right, and he did. Building a fire right, you can't just throw lighter fluid on it. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. And I think we have a tendency to put lighter fluid on relationships. That we want to spray lighter fluid, and we want to see this relationship. We want to get it as hot and as heated and as beautiful as humanly possible, as quick as we possibly can. But what happens is, is you run out of lighter fluid, and then boom, that fire goes down. If you mess with lighter fluid in relationships, you will always end up getting burned. So what is lighter fluid in a relationship? It's what, uh, it's what Song of Solomon chapter 2 was saying. Anything that stirs up or awakens love before it pleases. Anything that progresses a relationship too quick is lighter fluid. So we, as, as um, relationships are kind of designed to progress. Like, it's, it's what it's designed to do. Like, you feel that when you get in a relationship. You want progression, which is why women in here, you're frustrated that he hasn't proposed yet. Because you want progression. And what happens is, is the, hear me, the culture that we live in wants, they, they want the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage. They want the benefits of marriage without the commitments of marriage. And so you get into a relationship, and you just progress it as quickly as possible. You take those steps as quickly as possible that you're like, oh, man. Like, so, let, so let me clarify some steps just for clarity here. Like, What are some lighter fluid steps? So it can be as far early as, um, as in saying that you like each other or going on a date with each other. Some of you need to take some time before you even take that step, and that could be lighter fluid if you take that step into dating that person. Saying you like each other, saying you love each other, that's lighter fluid things. Um, you know, uh, uh, anything sexual for sure is lighter fluid if done too early. Um, meeting parents, meeting family can be lighter fluid if done too early going uh, and spending holidays with them or vacations with their family can be um, lighter fluid if not done too early. And like I said, relationships are designed to progress. Here's the issue is we rush and we do all these steps and we do all these steps and it's great and it's awesome and the fire's bright and it's good and you're like, man, look how awesome this is. And then at some point you run out of lighter fluid. Like at some point you're basically married without actually the commitment of it. You're living together, you're sleeping together, because you've, you've reached that end, and that's the end of the lighter fluid. If I'm being honest with you, like you can get married, and sure, that's the next step, but there's really nothing after that. 
And what you'll find out is you get married and you realize, oh, this was all lighter fluid. I actually never had anything lit in the first place. And here's the problem. The Bible talks about when you get married, the two become one. I actually believe that that happens even before marriage. It starts to happen in this dating process. Every step you take in a relationship, what it does is it, it, it's, it's one step closer to binding your heart to theirs. So when you say you love each other, it's binding your heart to them. Meeting their parents, it's binding their, your heart to them. That you have sex, that's, that's really, really binding your heart to them. And then when it's done outside of, when it's done too early, you get burned. Because what happens is, is you're not in a committed relationship. You don't have that commitment side of it. And so when it doesn't work out, when they break up with you or you realize you have to break up with them and your heart gets split, it gets ripped from theirs, it hurts, it burns, and it's painful and you're sitting there bleeding all over the place because what was designed to be one is now getting ripped apart. If you're older in here and you've been through a few marriages, you know what I'm talking about. That you've, you've felt that oneness, that you've combined hearts together, you've been one, and then it's been ripped apart. And then you combined it with someone else, and then it was ripped apart. And then you combined it with someone else, and now you're just sitting there bleeding. You've probably even had this thought, if you're not thinking it every day, that I don't know if I have anything left to give. It's been ripped apart too many times. And it hurts, and it's painful, and I feel like I have pieces everywhere. And I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can ever get into a relationship again because I'm, I'm broken. This is not designed to be a, a message to bring shame on you. It's not a condemning message. I'll tell you why. Because what you're feeling, Jesus died for that. That you feel like, man, I'll just never be whole again. I just don't know if I could ever love again. I don't know if there's ever a piece of me that could be attached to someone else again. So I'm just going to give up on dating. Can I tell you that if you give your heart to the one who created it, he can make it whole again. He can make it whole again. The issue is, is you're trying to fix it yourself and it's not working. Or you're like, oh, maybe I can attach it to this one. And then it gets ripped again. And you just keep getting left with a hurting, broken heart because you're turning to the wrong things. That guy is not going to fix your heart. No matter what you think, no matter what you believe, she is not perfect for you. Jesus is you lean on Jesus, you depend on Jesus, that you strive after Jesus, what Jesus will do is he'll mend your heart back. Because he can do that. And I know that because he did it for me. I had years of depression that God brought me out of because of a broken heart. And he can mend it. 
He can make it whole again. You pursue Jesus. He gets you smelling right. Your character smelling right. Your integrity smelling right. He gets you to smell like him. And then when the right guy or girl comes along, you have something to give them. You protect your heart. Protect it, protect it, protect it. But if you build it right, here's the thing about a, a, a fire that's being built right. Is it's not going anywhere. Like, it's, it's there for a long time. There's no accelerant that's lit. It's all wood. It's all log. And it provides heat when you need it. It provides light when you need it. And for the married people in here who have f- healthy marriages, you know what I'm talking about. That a marriage can be light. A spouse can be heat. There have been times in my life where Ashley was, Ashley and Jesus were the only ones that were holding me up. You build it right, I'm telling you, you're lasting, you're, you're, you have a fire that'll last a lifetime. That's, what it's, that's when it becomes beautiful. This oneness with commitment done right. It's a beautiful thing. And so if you're in here and you're like, man, I'm just in a toxic relationship and I just, I need to get out of it. I need to get out of this toxic relationship. The whole time you're talking, Dustin, like I know I need to get out of it. Do it. Do it before you get burned too much. Do it now. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I just want to start dating right. I want to, I want to do these things right. Can I tell you, get into a life group. And if you're in here, you've been hurt and burned and you feel like your heart has been ripped from you, after service, we're going to have the prayer team come up. Do not leave here without coming to the front and getting prayed for by someone. That is your step to seeing healing in your heart and in your life. Let's pray. God, I pray for every single person in here that our heart is set on you, our eyes are set on you. If there's anyone who's single and they just need you, God, I pray that you, you show yourself to them, reveal yourself to them right now, God. That their eyes could be set on you because they see you and they know you and they feel you. God, comfort them. Just like you've comforted me, comfort these people who need your comfort. I pray that you just move in their lives, that they see you, that they know you, that you are the example on how to date well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.